Hello, welcome to the CityWire Funds Fanatic podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden, and today I'm talking to Ben Guest, manager of the Gresham House Energy Storage Fund, an investment trust which is exciting investors on both environmental and financial grounds. Ben, thanks very much for coming in. Thank now, before much, we get on to the trust's recent results, um, can you just explain what your energy storage fund does? Absolutely. What an energy storage fund attempts to do and does do at the moment is to essentially install batteries in the network so they're not behind other people's meters as you might install a battery in your garage for example they sit in front of the meter or within the main network import and export energy as required and that requirements either a function of uh, balancing the energy supply and demand in the market which is um, in turn a function of trying to um, bridge the gap if you like between the demand at that moment in time and the overall amount of supply that's um, being offered in the market, and sometimes that's not enough. Because they're storing renewable yeah. power, which is well known as intermittent. That's Wind right. doesn't blow all the time, that's sun doesn't right. shine all the time. That's, that's right. So at the margin, it's mostly driven by that intermittency. Okay, so we call them batteries, but you know, yep. what do they look like? How, how big are these batteries? What- right. Well, you can start small, if you like. Um, an individual battery cell, well, you'd think of them as maybe what's inside your mobile phone, when you could take them out, um, or a cylindrical cell, which is what you use for laptops. But what is used typically for cars and energy storage systems, which are similar batteries, um, are sort of three to 500 gram larger cells, flat packed, if you like, and, and sort of two by one in terms of dimensions uh, and, and not very thick, you know, maybe half your thumbnail or something in terms of thickness. And then there's thousands of those containerized in any one shipping container if you're doing it that way. Oh, so those big containers I've seen pictures yeah. of, that's not yeah. just one battery, that's a whole batch of them. A batch of cells, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, where, where, where are they sited? Where do you put them? We put them um, within the network. So we choose places where you, they're easy to connect to the network, but that network's obviously all over the country. And so they are all over the country. We have uh, 25, um, sorry, 17 projects today going to 25 when the next project's commission. Um, and, and are they and next they, to wind farms, solar parks? Not intentionally, no. So how no. do they get their power? No, they, they connect to, to the network. So if you think of the network historically, um, centralized power stations that export power into a high voltage grid, and then you have the tributaries, if you like, the local networks, which then send the power into homes. Renewables have been connected into that very high voltage network on occasion, but typically in the tributaries, and then they go up and down that, and batteries do the same. So the, the energy, the power you're storing, yeah. you're taking from the grid? From the grid, yeah. Okay, so how yeah. do you know it's renewable? You don't. That's the that's the point, and so that's why I said earlier at the margin that is what we're doing because we're the the biggest indicator of whether we're importing or exporting or anyone importing or exporting renewable power uh, or selling into an environment where more than renewable power is needed is is the power price um, because it's the power price um, that that um, that reflects an action carried out by National Grid with a particular technology provider um, that um, that indicates what's going on. So if National Grid needs to curtail renewable generation because there's too much of it and there aren't batteries enough to, to import, they will pay those renewable generators to get off the system. They're getting paid to buy back a position, and so power prices can go negative because you're getting paid to buy something. Uh, so that's an example of you know, that's the best indicator, but you don't know for sure whether you're importing renewable power. We'll get into this on in the detail of of, mm. of this uh, of, of this sort of the way you're making money, but mm. essentially you're getting paid by the grid then. No, um, yes and no. There are various ways of making money. So um, and again, it becomes overly complex very quickly. But essentially, national grid needs to balance supply and demand in every time frame. So you could think of real time, half hourly power price periods, uh, which is how the power price sort of 
is, is, is created, and then over very long periods. Taking each of those in order, in real time, you could do frequency response. In half-hourly periods, you can trade. And if you trade directly with National Grid through something called the balancing mechanism, yes, then they are your customer. And then over long periods, the capacity mechanism deals with the amount of capacity needed to just um, enable the, the provision of power for the uh, the populace, if you like, and um, and that's through the capacity mechanism. Yeah. And the investment purpose of all this, mm. these revenues, is to support dividends. You're primarily that's an income a, fund? I wouldn't say that, no. Um, we are paying an attractive dividend, I think, um, of seven pence. Uh, the share price has gone up, uh, but we have indicated that as dividend cover improves, we, we will um, have the option to increase dividends. Um, but we're also delivering strong capital growth. You know, our NAV is growing um, significantly. We've guided to a significant NAV growth, which is what's driven the share price most recently. And that's a function of delivering, um, investing in making good acquisitions, essentially. That's right. Well, before we get onto those um, th- those returns, which were, were quite startling uh, earlier this month. Um, so... It- Let's just look back. Look at the energy market sort of more broadly. You know, obviously Russia's invasion of Ukraine has had a dramatic but you know peculiar impact uh, on the energy market, with governments turning to nuclear, gas, and renewable power to wean themselves off Russia's supplies, but also meet their net carbon targets. Um, you know, are you are you happy with the way it's going? You know that, that kind of divergence, that split between kind of pushing for more renewables and also pushing for more nuclear. Um, you know, is there a rapid acceler- Is there going to be a rapid acceleration of um, of renewable energy coming out of the Ukraine crisis? Not out of the Ukraine crisis. There is an acceleration in renewable energy thanks to existing government policy, and it's very exciting. Um, we have a huge amount of offshore wind in the UK um, or around the UK, let's say, and that is driving enormous amounts of um, newly contracted capacity every two years through the what's called the, um, um, the, the, the auction rounds associated with the um, sorry contracts of difference auctions um, for offshore wind. And, and that's how the government hands out there's a government subsidies. And, and, well, it's, it's not technically a subsidy, it's a contract for difference. So essentially lots of uh, offshore wind projects bid into this and they on each round reduce the price that they're accepted to pay um, and eventually the auction clears at the level at which enough capacity has remained in that auction um, and the price at which they're you know, happy to stay in at um, is the price that they will get for all their power. And if the power, goes above, power price goes above that, um, they, they don't enjoy that. And in the current environment, what's ironic about all of this is that um, the government is making money out of uh, those contracts for difference because the power price is so high compared with what people have contracted at. Right. And yeah. um, so the market is growing. How, how big could uh, the fund get? Um, by the way, it's, we, do we call it GRID for short? Sure. It's Gresham House Energy Storage, yeah. but the ticker is, is GRID. It's, grid, yeah. um, it's one of two uh, listed uh, energy storage funds. Three, actually. Three yeah. now. Okay, yeah. beg your pardon. But it's got a 30% market share, uh, you said in the results. Yes, approximately. Yeah, so who's how, yeah, how, big, you know, how big can the market get? How big could the fund get? If you look far enough in the future, um, giving numbers offered up by National Grid's own future energy scenarios, uh, 40 gigawatts of installed capacity in the UK alone is um, the numbers that they've put out. Uh, I, and I, one gigawatt it represents what? How many houses? I, I should have prepared be? for that yeah. question. I, I don't know that off the top of my head, but it, you know, a, a, a small household would, would use on average a continuous um, kilowatt to four kilowatts on, for larger households. So we can do the maths on the back of that. So a, a gigawatt is certainly sort of 
a million homes or so. Yeah, I've got um, it written down somewhere. Oh, half yeah. a million to a million, probably. One gigawatt, 750,000 homes? That could it be good. that sort half of Half a million to a million is what so I said. 40 so, yeah. times that. There's a lot of yeah, homes. It's a lot okay. of homes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and then there's also the, the, the duration of the battery. So, of course, you can have connection capacity, how much power you can send in one instant, but how long can you do it for as a function of the battery size behind that connection? And at the moment, batteries are about an hour, um, but they're likely to head up towards you know two, three, four hours over time. Possibly. So the longer you can supply yeah. power, the more money you can make? In, th- in, in theory, yes. Basically yeah. speaking. Yeah, basically speaking. Okay. Um, I mean, let's get on to the, you know, the, the returns that you're making. I mean, mm. the results this month showed that since your launch, uh, the end of 2018, up to the end of last year, mm. you'd made a total return, investment return, including dividends, of uh, 55%. Mm. But then in recent um, uh, sort of updates and, and forecasts, you're talking about um, uh, making about 24% uh, in the first half, up to 24% uh, this year, yes. um, which is nearly double what uh, the return um, generated last year. Mm. So that's quite an increase. Yes. And it's been caused by you trading more of the power. Um, but yeah, could you just give me a, 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 I'll break, a, it down a, a break it down? It's, How are you achieving yeah. that? Because that seems, I've got this idea that the you know grid is a sort of steady eddy kind of income fund, mm. but um, these are quite dramatic increases sure. in uh, investment return. So if you, if you look at the existing operational portfolio, it's, it is, um, you could think of it as more steady eddy. So it's, it's generating a good yield in excess of, you know, covering the dividend and excess cash can be reinvested in the business and, and that's all good. But that, that can't drive the sorts of returns that you're seeing. What you're seeing at the moment is very large incremental growth in the capacity um, that we've installed. Um, and, and a lot of that is coming through and shortly in terms of commissioning timeframes. That leads to... Uh, an integration of that capacity into the portfolio, and then a revaluation opportunity at the weighted average discount rate. The weighted average discount rate is lower than the returns indicated by our financial models, which means that then there's an uplift in the NAV of those projects, or NPV of those projects, which then drives the overall NAV. Can just hold you there a second. So as yeah. these projects uh, sort of come on stream and get more established, I can yeah. see the value of them goes up. Goes up, exactly. Where you're losing a little bit is on discounts, and these are, I know that they're not investment trust discounts, we're not talking about share price discounts, but we're talking about the rate at which you're um, valuing the, the, the cash flow coming off your... Um, the discount rate, yeah. yeah. So any, any future cash flow is discounted at a particular discount rate. Um, that's agreed with our independent valuer um, and the board. And um, that's what's applied. And we use quite a high rate. But despite that high rate of 10.8%... And the higher the rate, the kind of lower the net present value. Absolutely. So as that rate Absolutely. comes down, as things get kind of less risky, yeah. then the, the value of the portfolio goes up. Correct. And But nevertheless, the higher the IRR or the overall expected return, compound return from those projects over their life, the higher that is over and above the weighted average discount rate of the fund that's then applied um, once these projects are in the fund, um, the, the higher p- the potential for revaluation and upward driving drive, driver of the NAV. Okay, so what are you doing to uh, produce these uh, these increased returns in the first half of this year? Okay, so we've had several projects, um, and in total we've got about 415 megawatts of projects in construction compared with a base of 425. So when you're growing the base of business so much and each project is then revalued um, upwards on, on, on the back of their commissioning um, uh, or, and or um, being in construction and then again in, const- in, con- in commis- post-commissioning, that then drives the NAV because, you know, you've got 
say, penny or two or more per project. NAV being the net the, asset net value. Net asset value, sorry. Yeah. The underlying value Ab- of, of absolutely. your Absolutely. So when you're growing the base of business so much, that, that's what drives the growth. And so uh, we've announced our pipeline in the past and we, we still do. And you know, when we're going from uh, 425 to upwards of 800 this year, but our total pipeline um, speaks to um, ending up at uh, about 1,600 megawatts. So you're going to treble in size, potentially? Treble plus in size um, from where we are today over the next. Um, and if you're growing years. like that, you know, basic question. But if you're growing like that, and other operators are growing like that, mm. perhaps um, are we going to see these batteries all over the place in the way that we're, you know, we've got used to seeing wind farms and solar parks? Yes, but they're less visible. Right, you can hide them behind fences or shrubbery, and um, they're usually very close to the network connection points, which basically means they're not, you know, around people. And, yeah, what difficulties, you, you know, there's been a lot of supply chain issues for mm. all sorts of manufacturers. What problems have you had uh, in, in constructing um, your projects? All, everything is more challenging than it has been and probably more challenging than I've known. And I've probably done up, upwards of 50 projects at this stage in terms of being involved in the construction and commissioning. Um, ordering kit, uh, whether it's what goes what we call inside the fence, the main project, or whether it's kit that's used to connect to the main network. Um, you, those are typically on longer lead times anyway, but um, in, and now they are in longer lead times still. And where are you getting these components from? Are they you know, coming from China, coming from abroad? Or? Yeah, so you know, you've got big mainstream electrical equipment manufacturers like Siemens being used for, for the connections. Um, you've got Chinese batteries manuf- battery manufacturers and got Korean battery manufacturers as well, so all over. Okay. Another question. I saw the, t- the reference to a term of degradation uh, yes. in the results. Yes. So, you know, <laughs> Batteries degrade. That kind they of do. makes sense. But yeah. Yeah, what kind of technical issues, problems are you, are you encountering? Um, well, we've got a very good track record in terms of um, uptime. So keeping these things online so they can make us money. That's a really important term as well. And then you've got the degradation term, or we look at it the other way around, um, which is state of health. In other words, it's degraded by, if it goes from 100 um, and degrades by 3%, the state of health is 97%. In other words, you can still store 97% of what you could have stored on day one. It doesn't mean that 3% of the batteries have died. It's, 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 it's just to make that clar- um, uh, clarification. Absolutely. And these are big gains that you've been making recently. Are they uh, exceptional? Are they a bit of a one-off? Because, you know, your previous strategies, you, you've talked about becoming more commoditized, the returns mm. are coming down, but you're moving to trading. That's a bit different. You're taking the lead there. But, um, you know, can you keep uh, being on the front foot or will the returns generally decline as this market becomes more established? We we won't generate – you you can't compound at at the sorts of returns that that we're we're, um, doing at the moment forever. Um, We continue to maintain our – or being happy with our overall – uh, ambitions of eight to fifteen percent over the longer term, which we put in our IPO prospectus and restated and and spoke to um, in, in latest announcements. Um, I think that's a comfortable rate of value creation, so total return to investors. Um, I, I, I'm confident with that. Obviously, right now we're delivering more than that because we're growing the portfolio um, very quickly. And I think, given how big the market will become, um, I think that. You know, we'll we'll continue to grow the megawatt base very significantly, as we spoke about a moment ago. Um, so yeah, we're, 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 
I'm not a strong answer, but you know, certainly the guidance we've given as the long-term return of eight to fifteen is 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 what we're happy to stick to. So those financial returns sound sound uh, attractive. Mm. We're speaking the day before uh, Earth Day, the annual Earth Day. I'm mm. um, just wondering, you know, I, I can imagine it's the investment opportunity that's driving investors, but you know, are, are environmental considerations also uh, a, a big uh, motivation? Huge motivation, personally for me. That it's the reason I'm in the industry. There are returns that you can generate or you can create a good career in any sector but I'm passionate about this sector um, I and um, I, and that's renewables overall um, but specifically on energy storage it's a really critical technology and we can talk about why but you know, in terms of its size if everything is going to be if our main form of elec- uh, energy consumption becomes electricity and I'm talking globally here it's not just a UK phenomenon um, you know through electrification of cars clearly well on the way electrification of heating well on the way although more slowly that means that and, and and most of that electricity is generated from renewables. Um, you suddenly and, and by the way, bear in mind that electricity forms only twenty percent of global energy consumption, and same same ratio in the UK. So it doesn't mean that total electricity consumption will go up fivefold because electricity is much more efficient, but it'll double or triple from here to twenty fifty. And within that, renewables will grow from, depending on the country, but in the UK it's forty percent towards 100. So, you know, combine those together, you've got a renewable sector that grows very strongly. And that then explains why you need so much energy storage as well, because you need to deal with the intermittency that arises as a result of that. Absolutely. And all this is in the context of of, 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 of power energy prices mm. that, uh, you know, have clearly shot up mm. uh, as a result of the sort of reopening yeah. of the, the global economy uh, after the coronavirus pandemic, yeah. mm-hmm. but then uh, obviously uh, exacerbated by the uh, uh, by sanctions against Russia Indeed. after the invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. But um, you know, b- before all that, you know, mm. forecasts were talking about how you know, this, this dramatic growth in renewables was going to drive down the long-term uh, price of, of energy. Mm. So and, and clearly, uh, you know, households, the public are grappling with very high energy yeah. costs this year. Yeah. But you know, what is the um, trajectory for power prices, uh, medium, longer term? Longer term, um, power price forecasts have not changed that much, actually. Um, And what's interesting is that why are the power prices so high in Europe right now? It is because of the invasion and because of uh, what was going on in Ukraine and the fact that um, uh, there's there's less gas or concerns that less gas would flow to Europe, um, which then means that gas prices go up. But gas prices are fairly local. Gas prices, and I haven't checked in the last few days, but are about eight eight times higher in uh, Europe than they are in the United States, Um, just to give you an idea. So, um, and and, and we just can't get enough of it over to be able to solve our problem. So the likelihood is that for one reason or another, hopefully a piece of cord of some source or or just moving away from gas or just accelerated electrification or people turning down the thermostats or whatever reason, we, we solve the... Um, the imbalance in supply and demand for gas, that gas prices can then go back closer to their marginal cost of production and extraction. Um, and, um, and and then uh, that will then translate into lower electricity prices because those actions I talked about earlier when prices can go negative, at the other end, when you need renewables plus something else um, to meet the demand, an action by national grid in the balancing mechanism will usually be with a gas-fired generator and because those gas generators are using much more expensive gas, it is that marginal trade that's then setting the price for everything. No matter how much cheap renewables were generated um, as part of that overall mix, it is the marginal trade that sets the power price. And it is the fact that high gas prices, that there are high gas prices at the moment, that then lead to high electricity prices. Um, 
So that's that's. But um, ultimately, that's if we move to what be beyond gas yeah. and, and to purely renewable, absolutely. Then what happens to the power price then? It's very good question. Free. So what you said earlier was is is is, um, is it will never be free because um, because of the intermittency there'll be. As many instances, if you just imagine a 100% scenario of renewables, there'll be as many instances where um, there are too many, too much renewable power on the system and it's sometimes way, way too much. And there'll be other times when um, there's far too little. And at those times when there's far too little, of course, energy storage will do its best to balance the market. But you'll probably need something else as well um, to, to balance things. But overall, absolutely, if the marginal installation is with electricity that is... Um, electricity technology, generating technology that is much cheaper than the alternative um, on there already, the likelihood is that on average power prices fall significantly. And so what's the impact long term then on, on a business like yours, on a fund like yours? Well, we, we don't um, uh, correlate to power price levels. We, co- we, we correlate to the volatility in power prices because that's what drives our revenues. Um, and, and renewable energy is going to remain inherently volatile. Absolutely. So absolutely. There's, so, a, there's a role. So, for you. There's, so a commercial there's, there's a There's a commercial role now. Of course, if you look really far at, um, in, in ahead, um, at the moment we've got renewables that at times overgenerate because that's what they do, uh, or are expected to. So the national grid preemptively sort of takes them off the system. That leads to negative prior prices, um, and we we buy at those times at the margin. But if there are lots of batteries installed, which are creating artificial demand and supply, you can think of them as artificial sources of both of those. Um, and there's excess generation. Uh, we we if there's enough demand created by those batteries at times, um, the price will go up at those times. And and same goes with the supply. If if we can provide more power at times when it would otherwise be in a critical situation, um, the power price will fall at that time. So the volatility has the potential to contract, but it's far in the future and it won't go away completely. And so what we want to be is the largest player with the lowest marginal cost of providing this flexibility to the system so we still generate great returns at lower levels of volatility in the long term. Okay, so that's the, that's the long term. In the here long and term. now, in the here and now it's power prices are exciting. going through the roof. Yes, but power prices, not just power prices, but also the volatility of power prices is going through the roof. And that's because of the very rapid growth in renewables. That's a really crucial point. So we're not just making money because of what's going on in Ukraine, just to sort of highlight that point, and, and, and high gas prices. It's big, mainly because, and it started before, um, the, the the current situation in Ukraine um, is, is the volatility in power prices. That that's what's really driving incremental returns from trading, and so as a second source of revenue, um, having enjoyed a few years of frequency response being the dominant source of revenues, trading generates similar returns. Okay, but um, so you're making you know good returns for your investors uh, during this uh, uncertain and you know historically challenging times. Yeah. But do you have sympathy for you know the, for ordinary consumers who are facing their you know the, the, these escalating bills? Yeah. Um, yeah sh- sh- what, what what should the government be doing more to? Um, what can the government do to shield people from the big increase, increases to come? Um, it's a very difficult situation, isn't it? Uh, we've we've got much higher wholesale prices. Um, one, one of the fortunate realities, which has been uh, analysed and published, but not widely, is that the, the CFD regime, you know, the more wind power that we have that's powered by the CFD regime, means that um, whenever the power price is very high, those wind farms receive that initially, but because it's a contract for difference, they've got to give that back. And so if we've got significant chunks of electricity um, 
effectively being uh, sold by large wind farms that are on one of these um, mechanisms uh, and earning, say, 30 or 40 or 50 pounds, but the power price is at 200, that difference, they have to give back to the government. What the government does with that money is going to be very important. Um, you know, do they just put it into the general coffers or do they decide to actually use that to support um, people in fuel poverty is one. Well, that's very interesting. There is, yeah. a, there is a source of energy-related revenues, excess yeah, it, revenues, the, that the government is receiving. As a result of that, the net impact, and, and this is from reading an article rather than my own analysis, I have to admit, um, the net the total, the net cost of green energy right now is actually plummeting thanks to that mechanism, and actually will continue to plummet um, because the incremental wind farms that are being built and commissioned shortly um, are, are have, have committed to selling power at thirty, forty pounds a megawatt hour versus current prices in the sort of upper one hundreds or even above two hundred. Ah, see. So the fact that these some of these renewable funds are kind of fixed at their uh, the price that they they, they sell. These at. are the offshore wind farms in particular, mm-hmm. but they are becoming dominant a dominant share of the renewable mix. Of course. So what scale? I mean, it's an interesting article you've read. What uh, what mm. scale? Or how, how much money are we talking about potentially? Um, I haven't done the maths on the total, but I do know that in terms of the total cost to the consumer of the green subsidy pot. Um, it reduces it very sorry um, green levies, whether it's passing through feed-in tariffs, rocks, um, climate change levy, um, carbon prices. All of that heads towards zero very quickly. Okay. So we're in that sort of league um, where where it sort of almost shows that the, the benefits of renewables are starting to show through and providing some stability to overall costs. But it's just really important to to. Um, you know, ask the government about what they will do with that money. Well, that sounds um, a good point for the for the, the chancellor. We'll have to yeah. see what the, it says in the future uh, statements on, on, on the issue. But I think another thing is is we, it, these the energy prices are really high, and I don't want to sound glib because clearly some people buy the energy that they need uh, and not more. But an awful lot of people buy more power than they need, and whether there is a way of encouraging people in whatever manner um, more to energy less, efficiency, it, it, but even just for a while actually more toughing it out you know it's like we're in a crisis environment and we're trying to live life as normal let's let's not think entirely in those terms you know let's put on that extra woolly jumper let's turn the thermostat up a degree it sounds you know potentially but it's it's intended to be serious it's it's there is real energy savings and really contribute to solving this problem uh, or creating a um a mechanism by which we can make things easier before solving it more permanently with um, you know, less reliance on gas. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's plenty. Those of us who aren't on the poverty line, there's plenty we can do to yeah. to to to, uh, to uh, tighten our belts. And uh, yeah. uh, but there are obviously plenty of people who are being pushed into the poverty line because Absolutely. of increases we're talking about. Absolutely. But um, but Ben, look, thanks very much for talking to me. That's Thank very you. interesting to see what we'll, we'll see what happens. I hope your uh, your solution is, is taken by up by the government. But in the Thank meantime, you. thanks very much for talking to us about grid. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. 